0: Welcome to the Church of the Redeemers Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will enjoy this week's service, and we hope that you will follow us at www.cotrb.org. And may God continue to bless you. That SOS that you put out to God, he's answering it. He's making a way. He's making a way. That thing that only God can do. He's doing it. He's making a way. He's making a way. He's making a way. He's making, a way. He's making a way. Yeah. Acts chapter one, verse eight is what we've been reading. I'm gonna read it in your hearing. The scripture reading that we've we've read today is John chapter four, pretty much most of the chapter, but I'm just gonna read one verse before I preach and then we'll refer to what Minister Lingham read to you. If you if you can please stand on your feet for the reading of the word. It's just one verse. Just one verse. I'd appreciate it. But so you will receive power. Somebody say power. I want to hear you say it a little, little louder, like you got power. You will receive power. power. All right, I like that. After when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. There's a title for this message this morning. It's Go to Samaria. Go to Samaria. Father, I trust your word. Let your word fall on good ground. Wrote down what you gave me. Edit, make modification as you see fit. I trust you. I trust you. And I'll praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank God. And amen. We've been working together to hit the ground running. Now listen here. I'm not preaching for no amens this morning. Y'all hear me? I'm telling you right now. I'm not preaching for no amens this morning, but I'm going to give you this work. All right? I like that. Thank you already. You give it to me early. I appreciate you, ma'am. We've been working together to hit the ground running with regarding with regard to being a sent church and ascending church. A sent church and ascending church. A church who has been sent by God to serve our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and our world. And ascending church. Who understands that every member here is a minister of God, called to serve their own Jerusalem, their own Judea, their own Samaria, and their world? And before we go too far, I don't want to get that point. Let that point get lost in the shuffle here. So, if you don't mind, just turn to your neighbor and just look at somebody, or type it in the screen and say, "Pastor said I'm a minister. I'm a minister. I look at somebody. I'm a minister." That's right, baby. Say it with strength. I like it. Say it again. Tell your mama, I'm a minister. <laughs> I'm a minister. Type it in the screen. I am a minister of God. I am. I, I don't need no special service. I don't need no special paperwork. I don't need nobody to lay hand. Come on, sir. I don't need nobody to lay hands on me. I don't need nobody to confirm the call of God on my life. I wish I had a church right there. This is about as excited as y'all gonna get. <laughs> I am, I am, I am me, my nasty self. I am, I, I am with everything wrong with me and everything right with me. I am a minister of God. <laughs> Wherever I go, the kingdom goes with me. Wherever I go, heaven is right there beside me walking with the power of God, the power of God. The power of God is in me to declare Boldly, with heaven's authority, the simple truth that I am a minister. A minister is a servant. Don't get too big-headed now. A minister is a servant. And as a minister, I am called to service in the kingdom. So as a minister of God, you are declaring that you are a servant of the same. And you will serve God out of a posture of love and acceptance. You will serve God from a place of appreciation for who God is to you and what God has done for you. I am a minister of God. So as sent ones of God, we realize that we have to be prepared by God to do what God's called us to do. We have to know the mission of God, Matthew chapter 28. And we have to be, we have to be ones who have been spent time with Jesus in ways that have changed our lives forever, Acts chapter 1. And after we've been prepared, or maybe I should say as we are being prepared by God, we get to partner with God to do ministry in the areas that God has invested, invited us to serve others in. Jerusalem, home, impacting generations, not nations. Say amen, somebody. Judea, a place where we return from exile to understanding. Say amen, somebody. Amen. Samaria, the place we're going to talk about today and then to the world. We're going to talk about that next week. Now in our scripture reading from this morning, Minister Lingham read the passage from John, a passage, the passage from John chapter 4. And it's a familiar scripture passage for many of us who have been in, or should I even say around, the church for any length of time. This is a story of the woman who had a bit of a sketchy past in her encounter with Jesus. She was doing her daily chores, going to a well to get water for her family to use that day. When she was met, when she is met by Jesus sitting at Jacob's well, Jacob's well, a place of significance. I'm not going to talk about the significance, but I need you to know that she was, at a, she was at a place where Jesus was frequenting and she had frequented a long time. But I will offer that there is anointing at Jacob's well. At well, I'm, I'm not going to talk about it, but I need to say a little something. There, there is an anointing at Jacob's well. It was a place of significance at Jacob's well. They dug deep down until they struck water, and God helped them through a dry season at Jacob. Generations were helped at Jacob. Sounds a little bit like Redeemer, don't it? Let's keep going. There was a point at Jacob's well. She met him at Jacob's well. And we've got other things to discuss, but there's a point there that God won't allow me to, that God didn't allow me to make last week, and I need to make this point directly. It's a point that ties to the opening of this week's text. In John chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, it says, now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea, Judea. And departed again for Galilee. He passed through Samaria. Did y'all read that? When Jesus had learned, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more, I'm going to take my time this morning, had baptizing and making more disciples than John, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. But he had to pass through Samaria. When we serve Jerusalem, God gives us power and courage to face our past we serve Judea, God gives us power in our surrounding area and humility. Somebody say humility? He gives us power and he gives us humility not to get proud or puffed up. And part of what comes with being known in our 191, part of what comes with being known as and seen by others as a church of value and worth in our city is this feeling that we have to maintain this position which God's placed us in. Y'all hear me? It's this feeling that we have to maintain this place that God's placed us in in the kingdom. We have to maintain what God has blessed us with. And what I've seen more times than not is that this feeling breeds a spirit of competition in the Lord's church. One church thinks that they got to compete with another church because they think this church is doing a little bit better than they are. And the feeling, the, the, the feeling breeds this feeling of competition. And in more times than not, that feeling in the body of Christ, it causes sickness. The feet get to thinking that they want to be hands. The feet that are supposed to get us where we're supposed to be want to be hands that can feel and create. And then the hands that are created to feel and create want to be ears that hear the sound of heaven. The ears that hear the sound of heaven want to be mouths that speak prophetically and powerfully to those who are in power. And we get confused and start to compete with each other because we start believing that one church is doing heaven's recipe for every church. When in all actuality, if we didn't have feet, there would be nowhere to speak. We are limiting the creativity of heaven to bring to earth the blueprint that God has planned for the world because we're competing with each other. All we have to do is allow for God to be a God of diversity, a lack of diversity breeds a dependence on ourselves instead of a dependence on God. But if we were willing to just allow God to be who God wants to be in our 191, we would be comfortable just being feet. Taking the gospel where it needs to be. We would be comfortable just being hands. Creating new things for the glory of God. We would be comfortable just being mouthpieces, communicating truth to power, and then sending them with our voice to where they need to go to be recreated in the image of God. And so the point that I couldn't make last week that I'm going to make this week is maybe just a culture-making moment that's a little bit late, but I declare by the power of God that Redeemer will not be a place of competition. Say amen, somebody. Say amen, somebody. There is too much richness in the body of Christ in Philadelphia for us to compete with Gospel Temple. Church! There's too much vastness. In the world for us to compete with any other ministry. If God gave it to us to be feet, then we will take the gospel where the gospel needs to go. And we will never be jealous of the mouths in the city. I wish I had a church. I do. We will never be jealous. We will never compete. And when you find yourself jealous... Or competing with another ministry. Maybe God is telling you to pray a little bit more. Maybe God is telling you to go sit down somewhere and find your place in the kingdom again. Maybe, just maybe, God is telling you that you are looking for fame instead of searching for souls. Not our job to compete in our one nine one. And when Jesus found out, when he recognized through the spirit of discernment that there was competition in Judea, he decided that it was time for him to leave. Ah, my Lord, <laughs> I'm not supposed to talk about that. He decided when he discerned the spirit of competition that it was time for him to leave and he decided to go to Galilee. He wanted to go home and take a break. <laughs> he wanted to go home, he wanted to go home. But he had to go through Samaria to get home. Jesus was in Judea, and when he felt a spirit of competition amongst the religious leaders in the city, <laughs> the religious ones were the ones competing. My Lord. <laughs> Y'all heard that? There's always more on Wednesday night. Always more on Wednesday night. <laughs> The religious ones were competing in the city. He turned to his disciples and said, it's time for us to go. Look, someone say go, please. Can you say go? Type it in the screen. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. Say it and declare it from your heart. God, I will go. He looked at them and he said, it's time for us to go so that they got up and they went one town over to Samaria. But Jesus was tired. He had to take a break. Because he had ministered in Judea. He had done the work that he needed to do in his Jerusalem. And now he was going to Galilee to get some macaroni and cheese from his mama. Needed to sit down and rest in his own bed. He was tired of sleeping with rocks as his pillow. He needed to lay his head down. So he went to Galilee. He was going to Galilee, but he decided to go through Samaria. Samaria, it's a town. That was unchurched, Samaria, Samaria. It was a town that he had not yet been to before, but it was, it was this town called Samaria. Everybody knew it was there. It was Samaria, the town that didn't, um, the Jews didn't like or live in. And it was a town that they may have passed through before because it was adjacent to towns that they liked. But they didn't frequent that part of town often, Samaria. He was going from Judea to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. Samaria was a place that was full of people who knew a lot about God, but didn't quite know God for themselves. Yeah, hear me, please hear me. They, they had heard about the church and maybe some, saw some nighttime news specials or Tyler Perry specials about the people that surrounded them, but they hadn't taken the time to learn much about the community. They had decided that this was where they wanted to live, and that was that. They felt that they had power because they were powerful out there and where they were originally from, so they thought that that power would just translate to this new area. I hope you all know where I'm going, but they didn't know the customs of the area. They weren't familiar with the block captains on their new block. They didn't even know what a block captain was. They weren't familiar with who walked where and how the neighborhoods were divided amongst residents. They didn't know that the railroad tracks on 25th Street is called the bridge. I had to learn that when I came down here. They weren't in the know about what it took for the neighborhood to get where it is today. Struggles of the past which has become the blessing of their present. Samaria, a place defined by a people that need Jesus but are largely self-sufficient and therefore disregard the Savior that they are in desperate need of. This is this place called Samaria around us, encroaching upon us, but they are not of us. <laughs> and as Pastor Waller would say, get in trouble, David, I, as I think about our Samaria, I have a difficult time not thinking about the gentrifier. Stick with me, y'all. When I think about Samaria, I have a difficult time not thinking about the gentrifier. You know, our new neighbors. Y'all know, y'all see, uh huh, we're gonna get in trouble a little bit today. Our new neighbors, those in our Jerusalem who have moved into a neighborhood but haven't taken the time to understand it. The neighbors who purchase homes that were owned by longtime residents and community members and act like they are new construction. <laughs> as if those walls don't already have a story. The gentrifier, the one who considers their residence a good financial investment without realizing that that investment of finance comes with an additional price of understanding. You gotta understand where you live. Those who moved in to move us out. My Lord, the gentrifier. For the last 15 to 20 years, our churches, and I mean historically black churches, sit with me. Our churches, I say, when I say our churches, I mean historically black churches, have had a difficult time understanding what to do with the gentrifier. Some say it's our responsibility to adapt and adjust to them so that they are comfortable, thereby losing the salt that has flavored our worship. For generations, simply to welcome the outsider, my Lord. Others say that the best thing to do is to move to another neighborhood, thereby leaving our Jerusalem behind and going to a foreign land ourselves to focus on a new Judea because Samaria was too much for us to handle. I wish I had a church. And then there are those who say, let's take advantage of, of the phenomenon and the wealth that Samaria seemingly provides to us, my Lord. God has given them something that we may want a short-term gain for our long-term pain. Whew, my Lord, this tension on both sides has created an us versus them mentality, an undercurrent of feelings that make one feel unwelcomed in your own home my lord a feeling that is not compassionate but competitive but in order for us to be effective witnesses in samaria we have got to be like jesus gotta be like jesus We've gotta do what Jesus did to that Samaritan woman. And I know that through the generations, many have focused on the conversation at the well, but I wanna talk about what surrounds the conversation at the well. What Jesus did when he went through Samaria is he met the Samaritan woman where she was. Then after he met the Samaritan woman where she was, he told her what she needed to know. My Lord. Finally, he sent that woman on her way. He ain't let her stay. First thing, he, he told her, he met her where she was. And those things, saints, they require power. In order to walk this neighborhood, face a new neighbor, we're going to go over time, just sit down for me. In order to walk this neighborhood and realize that this is still your neighborhood, it takes power to do that. In order to look at your oppressor, the one who's taken everything from you for such a long time and say, you ain't gonna take this from me. It takes power to do that. In order for you to stand in the face of your accuser, and I I watched three documentaries just to research this and to see the micro and macro aggressions that were committed against longtime citizens in neighborhoods that were theirs. And to think, to think, to think that you can say, I'm gonna call the cops on you if you don't turn your music down. What? It takes power to stand against the aggressor. It takes power to know that even though the law may be against you, you still have rights. Yes. Hello, church. Samaria so can't take that from you. But it also takes compassion to minister to ones that do you wrong. Yes. Let's go back to the text. John begins his story by sharing a bit of context about what Jesus is, what, about why Jesus is in the position that he's in. A spirit of competition has crept into the church. And so, into and on the church. So, in order to keep the peace, he decided to go preach in another town for a while. And he was headed to a synagogue of Galilee, the place where he did his first miracle. Y'all remember that miracle? Some of y'all still thanking God for turning water into wine, ain't you? Some of y'all still praising him. Aha! Uh-huh. As he was headed to Galilee where he did his first miracle. <laughs> Say amen, somebody. Some of y'all need to just put your head down. When he got to Samaria, he sent his disciples to go get dinner, but he sat down and rested at the well, in Jacob's well. And he's, as he's resting there in a very public place, ga- a very public gathering place, Jesus is met by a woman who's coming to get water for her family. Please realize that this is no miracle that this woman encountered Jesus. It's not happenstance, it's not miraculous that she came by. Jesus was sitting in a very public place. It was like he was sitting on the corner at 24th and Dickinson. It was like he was at the park, right? He was doing what he does, what everybody does, just going about his business. It's as if he were at Broad and Snyder, if I were to call it out. Somebody's going to be there, y'all. <laughs> it ain't no miracle. Somebody's going to be there. But Jesus decided to stop this white woman. I mean, I'm sorry, this Samaritan. And ask her to give him something to drink. He met, I'm going to get in trouble, come on, let's talk. He met her where she was. But he met her from a place of power. He met her where she was. But he met her from a place of power. He said, I need something from you. You going to give it to me or no? Jesus didn't go to a very public place to be a beggar. (laughs) He He was just tired. But he wasn't depleted. He was tired, but he knew that he had something to give to whoever crossed his path. But he needed them to know that he had something to give to them, and he needed to know that they were willing to give back. You don't get this for free. Help us, Lord. And this is the posture of the minister of God. We are always ready to share a word of encouragement with those that God sends our way. Whether we like them or not, help us, Jesus. We have to be ready to be the ones who communicate truth to power in the presence of those that may not want to hear it. but. Don't know. I don't know their mental capacity. We don't know their mental capacity. We don't know if they're ready to live or if they're begging God to die. And so in the moment where those that God sends our way come our way, we've got to be ready to share truth, y'all. As a minister of God, we have always got to be ready to share a word of hope and encouragement from Scripture. That could very well be the lifeline someone is silently begging you for. They're not coming to us. We have to meet them where they are. (laughs) Look at your neighbor and say, don't give away your power. God gave you the power. Power in the word. Jesus met her where she was, and then he told her what she needed to know. When they got to talking, what the woman realized was that Jesus was a spiritual person. I'm almost done. They realized he was a spiritual person, one who knew the word and the ways of God. Not just the word, but the ways of God. Not just the words of God and the ways of God, but how to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so she tried her best to attempt what she called code switching. Lord, help me. She tried her best attempt at code switching and started to try to talk in his vernacular. And after talking with her for a bit and her realizing that he wasn't going to back down because of her shenanigans, the woman says in verse 19, and I'll read what she says. The woman said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Duh. In essence, what she's saying is, let me try to keep up with you by impressing you with my cultural understanding. (laughs) Samaria! (laughs) Samaritans will do that. And I don't know about you, but that is exactly what often happens to me when seemingly powerful people realize and recognize the power of God in my life. They try to code switch and communicate in a way that makes me feel as though I need to take down to them. But the power of God in me will consistently and continually rise up and not bow down to, I wish I had a church. Not to use it against them, but also to ensure that they know I am no doormat, or speed bump, change their tune a bit, and adjust to try to speak my language in a way that makes me feel like they're a friendly. (laughs) You've already shown your cards, boo. I see you for who you are. And the last attempt to, your last attempt to regain power is not lost on me. No, baby, it's not lost. I see that you are powerful and I recognize your power, but you're gonna recognize mine today too. I also need you to recognize the power of God that's in me. Power to stand up to the oppressor with faith that fights for what's right. I'm already over my time, but I need you to say power, power. I got power. Power to be a ramp that propels others. When God, when y'all see me as a speed bump that is just here to slow you down. Power to launch you into your destiny when you see me as a barrier to what you want. All you gotta do is take time to communicate and understand that I'm here to help, my Lord. But Jesus didn't let this gentrifier, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Jesus didn't let this gentrifier, this Samaritan, speak to him in any kind of way, using language she didn't really understand, saying he stayed true to himself and offered her what she needed giving more than he ever would have received. My mama told me I got to do twice as much to get half as much. It's going to be a day. And that's going in. He met her where she was. told her what she needed to know. And lastly, when the disciples got back and were watching from afar, come to Bible study, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Not everybody can be with the Samaritans. When the disciples got back and were watching from afar, he sent this woman on her way, not in a rude way that dressed her down, but rather in a way that in her own words told her all that she ever did. Not only was she convinced that Jesus was the Christ, she was so convinced that when she went back to her home told everyone she knew had met Jesus, not only did she believe, she, her testimony changed the whole town. Whole town believed. Because he knew that he wasn't called to her, he was just called to communicate to her. Those you serve in Samaria, saints, we're called to evangelize them. Y'all know what an evangelist is? It ain't a pastor. It's it's an evangelist. You speak the truth of the gospel to that person so that they can receive faith and you send them on their way. Speak the truth of the gospel to them. Uh-uh, not yet, not yet, good brother. You speak the truth of the gospel to them. I'm sorry, I, got to, I need a couple minutes. You speak the truth of the gospel to them. Make sure they're saved. Send them on their way. Somebody told me when I got here, 10 years from now, this church is not an integrated church, a multicultural worship center. I have done something wrong. I disagree and I'm not disagreeing because I need for segregation to remain in the church but I disagree because not all of us are called to Samaritans. Hello. That's good. Not all of us are called to pastor those who want to oppress us. That's good. There are some in the church that are very willing to be the token. That's good. That's good. My name's David Sean Smith. Been there, done that. I want all my people around me, everybody living good, everybody eating good. In the words of kindred and the family soul, everybody chilling not everybody's call to minister to the Samaritan. The Samaritan may not ever join us in worship. They may, but they may not ever join us in worship. And if they do, they will be welcomed to a place that knows our power. Yeah. We will not lose our salt to invite a new neighbor. Say amen, somebody. We don't always have to be the forgiving ones. Sometimes we have to be the ones that speak truth to power and help the others understand that there is already value in this community. Sometimes we have to stand in our place, understanding that the God that gave us the power to communicate to those that he has sent our way, our new neighbor, God has allowed for us to communicate truth to those people in a way that will help them see the gospel. Listen, when God calls us to Samaria, the new neighbor, I believe that God has more than just three options in mind. God just doesn't have option number one, adapting or adjusting to make others comfortable, moving to a new Jerusalem, or taking advantage of the gentrifier and selling what God gave us um, to them to, to yield to their power. But I believe that there's another biblical option. And that biblical option is to stand and minister the gospel of Jesus Christ with power and compassion. Y'all heard me? Power and compassion. You ain't gonna, you ain't gonna run me out of here. That's right. But I ain't gonna run you out of here neither. Just because you moved in don't mean everything changed and it don't mean I'm moving out. I believe there's another biblical option and that is to stand and minister to the gospel of Jesus Christ with power and compassion. Realize and recognize that this is a neighborhood that God has placed us in and we will not be moved. Realize and recognize that though the neighborhood has changed, that God called us to change in the neighborhood. To shift, to move with the move of God. To stop being babes in Christ, but allow for the blueprint from heaven for Redeemer to be revealed to us so that we can be in 50, 100, 200 more years should the Lord tarry. We can still be everything God's called us to be in this place. And if Jesus can do it through the Karen at the well, Jesus can do it through the Karens and Kens we meet in South Philadelphia. I came to preach today. The doors of this church are open. There's power here. There's power here. Uh, Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate you. I'm sorry. There's power here. But that power has to be coupled with compassion. Power for Jerusalem has to be coupled with courage. Power in Judea has to be coupled with humility. When we witness to those who we know don't like us, that power has to be coupled with compassion we are called to serve them but we are not called to be anybody's doormat I'm not sure if anybody has ever accepted the, if, if there is someone in this room who's never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior but now is your time and today is your day and I will offer that some of y'all who have listened may be thinking of this yeah sure this is the white man's religion the white man's gospel and we just bow and like, just roll over to whatever that part of the church says. And that, no, 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 no. Jesus, Jesus, if you read about Jesus, he, I should let you talk about this, huh? You read about, you read about him, he had skin that looked like us, bronze. Hair like wool, isn't it? I ain't never seen a white man with hair like wool. Show me one. And you've rejected Jesus because you've thought Jesus looked like these pictures that are running around here. Jesus loves you as you are because he was loved as he was. never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Now is the time and today is your day. Come now. If you're in the room, just come here. Come now. If you're on the screen, say it's me. Put a thumbs up and emoji there. I would appreciate that if you've walked away from Jesus Christ and you are trying to figure out how to get back home, all you got to do is say I want to come home. Just come on now. Come on now. Come on now. If you're in a, on the screen and you want to you're a backslider and you want to return to church, return to fellowship. Put a thumbs up in the screen. And lastly, if you want to join a church who knows our power and will stand boldly in it. Redeemer's a great place to call home. Theme is a great place to call home. Theme is a great place to call home. We offer Christ to you. Oh my brother. We offer Christ to you. Oh, my sister, he will give you brand new life, new life abundantly, oh, come, come on. Last call, last call, last call. Um, Samaria is a hard place to minister. It's a hard place to minister. And we are getting progressively more difficult with the call of God to go. Samaria is a hard place to minister. I understand that. I've experienced it. Samaria is a hard place to minister. And it takes power, but it also takes compassion. But that compassion is hard when you've been hurt. You know? That compassion is hard when you've been hurt. So the last call that I would like to make is if you want to come to the altar, feel free. But if you could sit in your seat, seat, you can stay where you are as you're watching. If anybody who feels called to your Samaria, called to people who you know don't like you, but you're having a hard time because you just can't quite come up with the compassion required to minister effectively, you just lift your hands. That's all. Just you can't, you can't quite come up with the compassion required to have a kind word to say, you know, because they've hurt you so deeply. And you're, it's hard. It's hard. Believe me, I know it's hard. If there are those, I just want to say a special prayer over us today. Father, we thank you for your call to go. We thank you that you have called us and allowed us to communicate in ways that are powerful and convicting you said your word is quick and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing asunder even into the to the dividing of bone and marrow that's what your word does that's what your word does when we speak your word it divides truth from lie it divides right from wrong and i pray lord that today that the power of your word would not be hindered by the pain in our hearts pray, God, that you would help us to go past our pain and to minister as a minister of the gospel that we just declared a few moments ago we are to whoever you send our way. And as we minister, as we go, as we do what you've called us to do, I pray that you would help us help us to heal just like the 10 lepers as they went they were healed. I pray that as we go, as we trust you to say a kind word, as we trust you to not be sharp, as we trust you to not dress this person down, as we trust you to say what needs to be said with truth and love, I pray that you would heal our hearts, not just change our behavior. And we'll thank you for it and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.